Hello, my friends. This is your Definitely Storytime host, Jamie. And if you're here, it's Definitely Storytime. So let's settle in and get comfortable, or whatever it is you prefer doing while you listen. And let's begin. We are reading Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Chapter 28 Nothing occurred during the next three or four days to make Eleanor regret what she had done in applying to her mother. For Willoughby neither came nor wrote. They were engaged about the end of that time to attend Lady Middleton to a party from which Mrs. Jennings was kept away by the indisposition of her youngest daughter. And for this party, Marianne, wholly dispirited, Careless of her appearance, and seeming equally indifferent, whether she went or stayed, prepared without one look of hope or one expression of pleasure. She sat by the drawing-room fire after tea till the moment of Lady Middleton's arrival, without once stirring from her seat or altering her attitude, lost in her own thoughts, and insensible of her sister's presence. And when at last they were told that Lady Middleton waited for them at the door, she started as if she had forgotten that anyone was expected. They arrived in due time at the place of destination, and as soon as the string of carriages before them would allow, alighted, ascended the stairs, heard their names announced from one landing place to another in an audible voice, and entered a room splendidly lit up, quite full of company, and insufferably hot. When they had paid their tribute of politeness by curtsying to the lady of the house, they were permitted to mingle in the crowd and take their share of the heat and inconvenience, to which their arrival must necessarily add. After some time spent in saying little and doing less, Lady Middleton sat down to Casino, and as Marianne was not in spirits for moving about, she and Eleanor luckily succeeding to chairs placed themselves at no great distance from the table. They had not remained in this manner long before Eleanor perceived Willoughby, standing within a few yards of them in earnest conversation with a very fashionable-looking young woman. She soon caught his eye, and he immediately bowed, but without attempting to speak to her or to approach Marianne, though he could not but see her, and then continued his discourse with the same lady. Eleanor turned involuntarily to Marianne to see whether it could be unobserved by her. At that moment she first perceived him, and her whole countenance glowing with sudden delight, she would have moved toward him instantly had not her sister caught hold of her hand. "'Good heavens!' she exclaimed. "'He is there! He is there! Oh!' Why does he not look at me? Why cannot I speak to him? Pray, pray be composed, cried Eleanor, and do not betray what you feel to everybody present. Perhaps he has not observed you yet. This, however, was more than she could believe herself, and to be composed at such a moment was not only beyond the reach of Marianne, it was beyond her wish. 
she sat in an agony of impatience which affected every feature. At last he turned round again and regarded them both. She started up and, pronouncing his name in a tone of affection, held out her hand to him. He approached and, addressing himself rather to Eleanor than Marianne, as if wishing to avoid her eye and determined not to observe her attitude, inquired in a hurried manner after Mrs. Dashwood and asked how long they had been in town. Eleanor was robbed of all presence of mind by such an address and was unable to say a word. But the feelings of her sister were instantly expressed. Her face was crimsoned over, and she exclaimed in a voice of the greatest emotion, "'Good God, Willoughby! What is the meaning of this? Have you not received my letters? Will you not shake hands with me?' He could not then avoid it, but her touch seemed painful to him, and he held her hand only for a moment. During all this time he was evidently struggling for composure." Eleanor watched his countenance and saw its expression becoming more tranquil. After a moment's pause, he spoke with calmness. I did myself the honor of calling in Berkeley Street last Tuesday and very much regretted that I was not fortunate enough to find yourselves and Mrs. Jennings at home. My card was not lost, I hope. But have you not received my notes? cried Marianne in the wildest anxiety. Here is some mistake, I am sure, some dreadful mistake. What can be the meaning of it? Tell me, Willoughby, for heaven's sake, tell me what is the matter. He made no reply. His complexion changed, and all his embarrassment returned. But as if, on catching the eye of the young lady with whom he had been previously talking, he felt the necessity of instant exertion, he recovered himself again, and after saying, Yes. I had the pleasure of receiving the information of your arrival in town, which you were so good as to send me, turned hastily away with a slight bow, and joined his friend. Marianne, now looking dreadfully white and unable to stand, sank into her chair, and Eleanor, expecting every moment to see her faint, tried to screen her from the observation of others while reviving her with lavender water. "'Go to him, Eleanor!' she cried as soon as she could speak and force him to come to me. Tell him I must see him again, must speak to him instantly. I cannot rest. I shall not have a moment's peace till this is explained. Some dreadful misapprehension or other. Oh, go to him this moment. How can that be done? No, my dearest Marianne, you must wait. This is not a place for explanations. Wait only till tomorrow. With difficulty, however, could she prevent her from following him herself, and to persuade her to check her agitation, to wait at least with the appearance of composure till she might speak to him with more privacy and more effect, was impossible. For Marianne continued incessantly to give way in a low voice to the misery of her feelings by exclamations of wretchedness. In a short time, Eleanor saw Willoughby quit the room by the door towards the staircase, and telling Marianne that he was gone, urged the impossibility of speaking to him again that evening as a fresh argument for her to be calm. She instantly begged her sister would entreat Lady Middleton to take them home, as she was too miserable to stay a minute longer. Lady Middleton, though in the middle of a rubber, on being informed that Marianne was unwell, was too polite to object for a moment to her wish of going away, 
and making over her cards to a friend, they departed as soon as the carriage could be found. Scarcely a word was spoken during their return to Berkeley Street. Marianne was in a silent agony, too much oppressed even for tears, but as Mrs. Jennings was luckily not come home, they could go directly to their own room, where Hartshorn restored her a little to herself. She was soon undressed and in bed, and as she seemed desirous of being alone, her sister then left her, and while she waited the return of Mrs. Jennings, had leisure enough for thinking over the past. That some kind of engagement had subsisted between Willoughby and Mary Ann she could not doubt, and that Willoughby was weary of it seemed equally clear, for however Mary Ann might still feed her own wishes, she could not attribute such behavior to mistake or misapprehension of any kind. Nothing but a thorough change of sentiment could account for it. Her indignation would have been still stronger than it was had she not witnessed that embarrassment which seemed to speak a consciousness of his own misconduct and prevented her from believing him so unprincipled as to have been sporting with the affections of her sister from the first, without any design that would bear investigation. Absence might have weakened his regard, and convenience might have determined him to overcome it, but that such a regard had formerly existed she could not bring herself to doubt. As for Marianne, on the pangs which so unhappy a meeting must already have given her, and on those still more severe which might await her in its probable consequence, she could not reflect without the deepest concern. Her own situation gained in the comparison, for while she could esteem Edward as much as ever, however they might be divided in future, her mind might always be supported. But every circumstance that could embitter such an evil seemed uniting to heighten the misery of Marianne in a final separation from Willoughby, in an immediate and irreconcilable rupture with him. Chapter 29 Before the housemaid had lit their fire the next day, or before the sun gained any power over a cold, gloomy morning in January, Marianne, only half-dressed, was kneeling against one of the window-seats for the sake of all the little light she could command from it, and writing as fast as a continual flow of tears would permit her. In this situation, Eleanor, roused from sleep by her agitation and sobs, first perceived her, and after observing her for a few moments with silent anxiety, said in a tone of the most considerate gentleness, Marianne, may I ask? No, Eleanor, she replied. Ask nothing. You will soon know all. The sort of desperate calmness with which this was said lasted no longer than while she spoke it and was immediately followed by a return of the same excessive affliction. It was some minutes before she could go on with her letter, and the frequent bursts of grief which still obliged her at intervals to withhold her pen were proofs enough of her feeling how more than probable it was that she was writing for the last time to Willoughby. Eleanor paid her every quiet and unobtrusive attention in her power, and she would have tried to soothe and tranquilize her still more had not Marianne entreated her 
with all the eagerness of the most nervous irritability, not to speak to her for the world. In such circumstances, it was better for both that they should not be long together, and the restless state of Marianne's mind not only prevented her from remaining in the room a moment after she was dressed, but requiring at once solitude and continual change of place, made her wander about the house till breakfast time, avoiding the sight of everybody. At breakfast, she neither ate nor attempted to eat anything, and Eleanor's attention was then all employed, not in urging her, not in pitying her, nor in appearing to regard her, but in endeavouring to engage Mrs. Jennings' notice entirely to herself. As this was a favourite meal with Mrs. Jennings, it lasted a considerable time, and they were just setting themselves, after it, round the common working table, when a letter was delivered to Mary Ann, which she eagerly caught from the servant, and turning of a death-like paleness instantly ran out of the room. Eleanor, who saw as plainly by this as if she had seen the direction that it must come from Willoughby, felt immediately such a sickness at heart as made her hardly able to hold up her head, and sat in such a general tremor as made her fear it impossible to escape Mrs. Jennings' notice. That good lady, however, saw only that Marianne had received a letter from Willoughby, which appeared to her a very good joke, and which she treated accordingly by hoping with a laugh that she would find it all to her liking. Of Eleanor's distress, she was too busily employed in measuring lengths of worsted for her rug to see anything at all, and calmly continuing her talk as soon as Marianne disappeared, she said, "'Upon my word, I never saw a young woman so desperately in love in my life.' My girls were nothing to her, and yet they used to be foolish enough. But as for Miss Marianne, she is quite an altered creature. I hope from the bottom of my heart he won't keep her waiting much longer, for it is quite grievous to see her looking so ill and forlorn. Pray, when are they to be married? Eleanor? though never less disposed to speak than at that moment obliged herself to answer such an attack as this, and therefore, trying to smile, replied, "'And have you really, ma'am, talked yourself into a persuasion of my sister's being engaged to Mr. Willoughby? I thought it had only been a joke, but so serious a question seems to imply more, and I must beg, therefore, that you will not deceive yourself any longer.' I do assure you that nothing would surprise me more than to hear of their being going to be married. For shame, for shame, Miss Dashwood! How can you talk so? Don't we all know that it must be a match that they were over head and ears in love with each other from the first moment they met? Did not you see them together in Devonshire every day and all day long, and did not I know that your sister came to town with me on purpose to buy wedding clothes? Come, come, this won't do. Because you are so sly about it yourself, you think nobody else has any senses, but it is no such thing, I can tell you, for it has been known all over town this ever so long. I tell everybody of it, and so does Charlotte. Indeed, ma'am, said Eleanor very seriously. You are mistaken. Indeed, you are doing a very unkind thing in spreading the report, 
and you will find that you have, though you will not believe me now. Mrs. Jennings laughed again, but Eleanor had not spirits to say more, and, eager at all events to know what Willoughby had written, hurried away to their room, where on opening the door she saw Marianne stretched on the bed, almost choked by grief, one letter in her hand and two or three others lying by her. Eleanor drew near, but without saying a word and seating herself on the bed, took her hand, kissed it affectionately several times, and then gave way to a burst of tears which at first was scarcely less violent than Marianne's. The latter, though unable to speak, seemed to feel all the tenderness of this behavior, and after some time thus spent in joint affliction, she put all the letters into Eleanor's hands, and then, covering her face with her handkerchief, almost screamed with agony. Eleanor, who knew that such grief, shocking as it was to witness it, must have its course, watched by her till this excess of suffering had somewhat spent itself, and then turning eagerly to Willoughby's letters read as follows. Bond Street, January. My dear madam, I have just had the honour of receiving your letter for which I beg to return my sincere acknowledgments. I am much concerned to find there was anything in my behaviour last night that did not meet your approbation, and though I am quite at a loss to discover in what point I could be so unfortunate as to offend you, I entreat your forgiveness of what I can assure you to have been perfectly unintentional. I shall never reflect on my former acquaintance with your family in Devonshire without the most grateful pleasure, and flatter myself it will not be broken by any mistake or misapprehension of my actions. My esteem for your whole family is very sincere, but if I have been so unfortunate as to give rise to a belief of more than I felt or meant to express, I shall reproach myself for not having been more guarded in my professions of that esteem. That I should ever have meant more, you will allow to be impossible, when you understand that my affections have been long engaged elsewhere, and it will not be many weeks, I believe, before this engagement is fulfilled. It is with great regret that I obey your commands of returning the letters with which I have been honoured from you, and the lock of your hair which you so obligingly bestowed on me. I am, dear madam, your most obedient humble servant, John Willoughby. With what indignation such a letter as this must be read by Miss Dashwood may be imagined. Though aware before she began it that it must bring a confession of his inconstancy and confirm their separation for ever, she was not aware that such language could be suffered to announce it. Nor could she have supposed Willoughby capable of departing so far from the appearance of every honourable and delicate feeling, so far from the common decorum of a gentleman, as to send a letter so impudently cruel a letter which, instead of bringing with his desire of a release any professions of regret, acknowledged no breach of faith, denied all peculiar affection whatever, a letter of which every line was an insult, and which proclaimed its writer to be deep in hardened villainy. She paused over it for some time with indignant astonishment, then read it again and again, but every perusal only served to increase her abhorrence of the man, and so bitter were her feelings against him that she dared not trust herself to speak, lest she might wound Marianne still deeper by treating their disengagement not as a loss to her, 
of any possible good, but as an escape from the worst and most irredeemable of all evils, a connection for life with an unprincipled man. As a deliverance, the most real, a blessing, the most important. In her earnest meditations on the contents of the letter, on the depravity of that mind which could dictate it, and probably on the very different mind of a very different person who had no other connection whatever with the affair than what her heart gave him with everything that passed, Eleanor forgot the immediate distress of her sister, forgot that she had three letters on her lap yet unread, and so entirely forgot how long she had been in the room that when on hearing a carriage drive up to the door, she went to the window to see who could be coming so unreasonably early. She was all astonishment to perceive Mrs. Jennings' chariot, which she knew had not been ordered till one. Determined not to quit Marianne, though hopeless of contributing at present to her ease, she hurried away to excuse herself from attending Mrs. Jennings on account of her sister being indisposed. Mrs. Jennings, with a thoroughly good-humored concern for its cause, admitted the excuse most readily, and Eleanor, after seeing her safe off, returned to Marianne, whom she found attempting to rise from the bed, and whom she reached just in time to prevent her from falling on the floor, faint and giddy, from a long want of proper rest and food, for it was many days since she had had any appetite, and many nights since she had really slept, and now, when her mind was no longer supported by the fever of suspense, the consequence of all this was felt in an aching head, a weakened stomach, and a general nervous faintness. A glass of wine which Eleanor procured for her directly made her more comfortable, and she was at last able to express some sense of her kindness by saying, "'Poor Eleanor! How unhappy I make you!' "'I only wish,' replied her sister, "'there were anything I could do which might be of comfort to you.' This, as everything else would have been, was too much for Marianne, who could only exclaim in the anguish of her heart, "'Oh, Eleanor!' I am miserable indeed, before her voice was entirely lost in sobs. Eleanor could no longer witness this torrent of unresisted grief and silence. Exert yourself, Marianne, she cried. If you would not kill yourself and all who love you, think of your mother, think of her misery while you suffer. For her sake you must exert yourself. I cannot, I cannot, cried Marianne. Leave me, leave me if I distress you. Leave me, hate me, forget me, but do not torture me. Oh, how easy it is for those who have no sorrow of their own to talk of exertion. Happy Eleanor, you cannot have an idea of what I suffer. Do you call me happy, Marianne? Ah, if you knew... And can you believe me to be so, while I see you so wretched? Forgive me, forgive me, throwing her arms round her sister's neck. I know you feel for me, I know what a heart you have. But yet you are, you must be happy, Edward loves you, what, oh, what can do away such happiness as that? Many, many circumstances 
said Eleanor solemnly. "'No, no, no!' cried Marianne wildly. "'He loves you, and only you. You can have no grief.' "'I can have no pleasure while I see you in this state.' "'And you will never see me otherwise. "'Mine is a misery which nothing can do away.' You must not talk so, Marianne. Have you no comforts, no friends? Is your loss such as leaves no opening for consolation? Much as you suffer now, think of what you would have suffered if the discovery of his character had been delayed to a later period, if your engagement had been carried on for months and months as it might have been before he chose to put an end to it. Every additional day of unhappy confidence on your side would have made the blow more dreadful. Engagement! cried Marianne. There has been no engagement. No engagement? No. He is not so unworthy as you believe him. He has broken no faith with me. But he told you that he loved you. Yes. No, never absolutely. It was every day implied, but never professedly declared. Sometimes I thought it had been, but it never was. Yet you wrote to him. Yes. Could that be wrong after all that had passed? I cannot talk. Eleanor said no more, and turning again to the three letters, which now raised a much stronger curiosity than before, directly ran over the contents of all. The first, which was what her sister had sent him on their arrival in town, was to this effect. Berkeley Street, January. How surprised you will be, Willoughby, on receiving this, and I think you will feel something more than surprised when you know that I am in town. An opportunity of coming hither, though with Mrs. Jennings, was a temptation we could not resist. I wish you may receive this in time to come here tonight, but I will not depend on it. At any rate, I shall expect you tomorrow for the present adieu, M.D. Her second note, which had been written on the morning after the dance at the Middletons, was in these words. I cannot express my disappointment in having missed you the day before yesterday, nor my astonishment at not having received any answer to a note which I sent you above a week ago. I have been expecting to hear from you, and still more to see you, every hour of the day. Pray call again as soon as possible and explain the reason of my having expected this in vain. You had better come earlier another time, because we are generally out by one. We were last night at Lady Middleton's, where there was a dance. I have been told that you were asked to be of the party, but could it be so? You must be very much altered indeed since we parted, if that could be the case and you not there. But I will not suppose this possible, and I hope very soon to receive your personal assurance of its being otherwise. M.D. The contents of her last note to him were these. What am I to imagine, Willoughby, by your behavior last night? Again, I demand an explanation of it. I was prepared to meet you with the pleasure which our separation naturally produced, with the familiarity which our intimacy at Barton appeared to me to justify. I was repulsed indeed. 
I have passed a wretched night in endeavoring to excuse a conduct which can scarcely be called less than insulting. But though I have not yet been able to form any reasonable apology for your behavior, I am perfectly ready to hear your justification of it. You have perhaps been misinformed or purposely deceived in something concerning me, which may have lowered me in your opinion. Tell me what it is. Explain the grounds on which you acted, and I shall be satisfied in being able to satisfy you. It would grieve me indeed to be obliged to think ill of you, but if I am to do it, if I am to learn that you are not what we have hitherto believed you, that your regard for us all was insincere, that your behavior to me was intended only to deceive, let it be told as soon as possible. My feelings are at present in a state of dreadful indecision. I wish to acquit you, but certainty on either side will be ease to what I now suffer. If your sentiments are no longer what they were, you will return my notes and the lock of my hair which is in your possession. M.D. That such letters so full of affection and confidence could have been so answered, Eleanor, for Willoughby's sake, would have been unwilling to believe. But her condemnation of him did not blind her to the impropriety of their having been written at all, and she was silently grieving over the imprudence which had hazarded such unsolicited proofs of tenderness, not warranted by anything preceding, and most severely condemned by the event when Marianne, perceiving that she had finished the letter, observed to her that they contained nothing but what anyone would have written in the same situation. I felt myself, she added, to be as solemnly engaged to him as if the strictest legal covenant had bound us to each other. I believe it, said Eleanor, but unfortunately he did not feel the same. He did feel the same, Eleanor. For weeks and weeks he felt it. I know he did. Whatever may have changed him now, and nothing but the blackest art employed against me can have done it, I was once as dear to him as my own soul could wish. This lock of hair, which now he can so readily give up, was begged of me with the most earnest supplication. Had you seen his look, his manner, had you heard his voice at that moment? Have you forgot the last evening of our being together at Barton, the morning that we parted? When he told me that it might be many weeks before we meet again, his distress. Can I ever forget his distress? For a moment or two she could say no more, but when this emotion had passed away she added in a firmer tone, Eleanor, I have been cruelly used, but not by Willoughby. Dearest Marianne, who but himself? By whom can he have been instigated? By all the world, rather than by his own heart, I could rather believe every creature of my acquaintance leagued together to ruin me in his opinion than believe his nature capable of such cruelty. This woman of whom he writes, whoever she be, or anyone in short, but your own dear self, Mamma and Edward, may have been so barbarous to belay me. Beyond you three, is there a creature in the world whom I would not rather suspect of evil than Willoughby, whose heart I know so well? 
Eleanor would not contend and only replied, Whoever may have been so detestably your enemy, let them be cheated of their malignant triumph, my dear sister, by seeing how nobly the consciousness of your own innocence and good intentions supports your spirits. It is a reasonable and laudable pride which resists such malevolence. No, no, cried Marianne. Misery such as mine has no pride. I care not who knows that I am wretched. The triumph of seeing me so may be open to all the world. Eleanor, Eleanor, they who suffer little may be proud and independent as they like, may resist insult or return mortification, but I cannot. I must feel. I must be wretched, and they are welcome to enjoy the consciousness of it if they can. But for my mother's sake, and mine, I would do more than for my own, but to appear happy when I am so miserable. Oh, who can require it? Again they were both silent. Eleanor was employed in walking thoughtfully from the fire to the window, from the window to the fire, without knowing that she received warmth from the one or discerning objects through the other, and Marianne, seated at the foot of the bed with her head leaning against one of its posts, again took up Willoughby's letter and, after shuddering over every sentence, exclaimed, "'Oh, it is too much! Oh, Willoughby, Willoughby, could this be yours?' cruel cruel nothing can acquit you eleanor nothing can whatever he might have heard against me ought he not to have suspended his belief ought he not to have told me of it to have given me the power of clearing myself the lock of hair repeating it from the letter which you so obligingly bestowed on me that is unpardonable Willoughby, where was your heart when you wrote these words? Oh, barbarously insolent! Eleanor, can he be justified? No, Marianne, in no possible way. And yet this woman, who knows what her art may have been, how long it may have been premeditated, and how deeply contrived by her, who is she, who could she be, whom did I ever hear him talk of as young and attractive among his female acquaintance? Oh, no one, no one. He talked to me only of himself. Another pause ensued. Marianne was greatly agitated, and it ended thus. Eleanor, I must go home. I must go and comfort Mamma. Can we be gone tomorrow? Tomorrow, Marianne. Yes, why should I stay here? I came only for Willoughby's sake, and now who cares for me? Who regards me? It would be impossible to go tomorrow. We owe Mrs. Jennings much more than civility, and civility of the commonest kind must prevent such a hasty removal as that. Well, then, another day or two, perhaps. But I cannot stay here long. I cannot stay to endure the questions and remarks of all these people, the Middletons and Palmers. How am I to bear their pity? The pity of such a woman as Lady Middleton. Oh, what would he say to that? Eleanor advised her to lie down again, and for a moment she did so, but no attitude could give her ease. 
and in restless pain of mind and body she moved from one posture to another till growing more and more hysterical her sister could with difficulty keep her on the bed at all and for some time was fearful of being constrained to call for assistance some lavender drops however which she was at length persuaded to take were of use and from that time till mrs jennings returned she continued on the bed quiet and motionless to be continued are you a person who does laundry because i am a person who does laundry and as such i have teamed up with salty llama to help make laundry a little bit easier better for the planet and more affordable so if you want to ditch the jug and the mess and the waste head over to saltylama.com and use my affiliate code definitely storytime no spaces to get 10 percent off your order there's a link in the episode description and that has been our episode i hope you enjoyed it and if you did, I hope you'll consider telling your friends and family, and if you have the means, providing listener support. I also have a Patreon, and I have merchandise available on Teespring. Links are on the homepage. I thank you for choosing Definitely Storytime.